Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So, Mr. Davis, how about we do ourselves some tech gumbo today? Sounds great. want to start off with World Backup Day, which... If you're hearing this, you've probably already missed it. It was March 31st. Every year is World Backup Day. Fortunately, though, you can still back up yourself and pretend that it's March 31st and back up all of your data. Please do. It's important. It's not just corporations that get hit. The malware that's out there can do damage, can lose all of your data really fast. And there's a lot of options as to where you can back up your data yeah, and it doesn't even have to be you get ransomware. It doesn't even have to be you get spyware or malware. It could be your laptop gets old and dies. It could be you spill something on your laptop and you fry it. There's a dozen different ways that everyone has experienced whatever. Something has gone wrong. Something is broken. And they have a lot of stuff they just don't want to lose on their computer. And so that's why you really should go out and take advantage of one of these softwares or to list. So if you're a regular consumer, Backblaze, iDrive, or Carbonite are very good options. They will back up your entire computer for you, and they're very, very affordable options. You also just have Microsoft OneDrive. That's what I use. That's what we use here. And it's such a convenient process because OneDrive looks like my C drive. And so I don't even have to sit there and back everything up. Whenever I save it, I automatically save it to that place. And so it's automatically backed up to the cloud, and I don't even notice it. I don't have to take any extra steps. I don't have to do anything else. It just happens automatically, and it's so convenient. Syncing your, your My Documents folder or your, your entire C drive to Office 365's OneDrive is so easy. If you don't have an Office 365 account, there's Google Cloud, which will give you 15 gigabytes of free storage. You can get use the Apple iCloud. There are several other choices, but please, please back up your data, not just in a hard drive that's sitting next to your computer. Put it up in the cloud where it's nice and safe, and that way, if your computer does get corrupted, 
when your computer gets corrupted, your data is safe. It's also convenient because if you want to access a file from somewhere else, I can pull up the same files from my phone as I can from my computer because they're both on my OneDrive. And so that's not something I need often, but just every once in a while, it's nice to have. Absolutely. Moving along, a bit of sad news. Gordon Moore, the Intel co-founder and the guy who created Moore's Law, died this past week. He got to 94, so lived a very long life. But as you said, the two most notable contributions to technology, the co-founder of Intel and the writer of the paper, which coined the term Moore's Law. If this guy doesn't do what he did just starting off in the 60s trying creating Intel, number one, we're not recording this show right now. There is no internet and there's no computers on everybody's desk and in everybody's house. And there's no smartphones either in everybody's hands. So to explain what Moore's Law is, it's fascinating because in the mid-1970s, he looked at the trends and he saw that the number of transistors that you could put in a single space was doubling every two years. And so he predicted that this would hold as a trend, as a pattern. And it turns out he was incredibly right that every two years, the number of transistors you could put into one space doubled all the way until, you know, within the past couple years that, and the only reason we've stopped is because we've hit the physical limits. We've hit the quantum barrier wherever you just can't continue to make things smaller anymore. And so for 40 years, his prediction held true. And that's why we call it Moore's Law. The other major impact was the cost of a processor. In the 1970s, one transistors are sold for about $150 each. Now you can buy 100,000 transistors for a penny. Yes, that is 10 to the 9 difference. Nine orders of magnitude difference in cost. And that is just such a staggering number that it, it shows how much power sits on these devices that in the 70s would have been unthinkable. And now, you know, there's five of them within arm's reach of me. Yes, when at $150 for a processor and what the capabilities of those processors back in the 70s could do, they could barely do simple math compared to what the processors do now. It's mind-blowing how far we've come. And Gordon Moore had such a huge, huge impact to make it all happen. Yes. So we are, are thankful for him. We remember him on this day. We wanted to also look up to the moon because Nokia is about to send the 4G cell site up there to the moon. Yeah, so the the point is not for you to be able to call the astronauts on the moon base. It's more so that they want in the future, because the goal is for NASA in 2025 to put another human back on the surface. Whether or not that happens, we'll continue to cover that on this show. But at whatever point in time they do get back to the surface of the moon, they're going to need to be able to communicate from the astronauts driving out there on the buggy to the spaceship that lands. And so the, having a 4G network 
that's the right amount of speed versus data versus distance that they think that they'll be able to get. And so this is the first step to, to test that. Yeah, you're not going to have to worry about pulling down off of a satellite or communicating all the way back to Earth just to get back to the space station or to the moon station, the Artemis surface, the moon shelter, whatever it's going to be, and the moon station. And so, yes, you'll be able to open up your phone and call back and say, hey, I'm done with this mission. Go ahead and start dinner. I'll be there in 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, start adding the water to the MRE. Yeah, so good for Nokia. They're going to put up a 4G cell site on the moon here in the next couple of years. Speaking of space, while we have talked a lot about SpaceX in the past, we've taken a couple of months off, mostly because we've had to talk about the big, huge elephant that takes up the room now when it comes to talking about technology. But we're not going to do that today. We're talking about SpaceX and catching up with our friends over there and what all they've been doing. Yeah, so SpaceX continues to be a very cool company that is making some strides right now. And so the the next big leap they're tackling is the next dish that they offer to connect to their to their satellite network will be a good bit smaller, only about the size of a laptop. Yeah, this thing is going to be just a little bit bigger than a sheet of paper at 11 and a half inches by almost 10 inches, and it's going to have better speed. Now, it's going to cost more up front to buy this dish, but once you get the dish, then you're not going to have that big, huge two-foot by two-foot square. You're going to have something much more appealing visually. So their their goal here is that it's a bit more of an industry-grade, uh, an enterprise-level piece of technology, because as you mentioned, it will be in that $2,500 range as opposed to that $600 range. But if you're someone who is really reliant on this for more than just your home Wi-Fi, then this is probably something you're looking into. But if you want to stay with the original dish for the 600 bucks, you can still get that dish. You don't have to go to the smaller one. Now, Starlink is also testing out using SpaceX's broadband internet access for in-flight Wi-Fi usage. So this is pretty cool. That's... Their goal is to try and see if they can compete. Can they cut into that uh, airline marketplace? Because you know there is a demand to bring Wi-Fi to airplanes because you have so many people who are constantly in the air traveling. You have so much business travel. If you could bring that cost down or make it more reliable, make it faster, you're going to have a market for people to to want that. That's right. So... The regional airline carrier JSX is going to be the first ones to test this, and they're going to have this offering so that you can pull out the laptop and and hit the Wi-Fi so that when you're on your little flight region going across the, the area, you'll be able to have yourself some internet and stream a movie, send emails, do whatever you want to do. And that's that's kind of a that's a cool thing to, to have. Yeah, because they've gotten some pretty decent speeds. They've already started testing in a couple places, and one test found they got 126 megs down and 7.5 up. A different one only found 78 down and three and a half up. But both of those numbers are tremendously faster than what you get on current in-flight Wi-Fi. Wherever I think it's somewhere around 15 down and less than one up, if that much. Yeah, if that much. And so you're going from, okay, I can read emails to 
Now we can actually surf the web, and that's a huge leap forward. And the good news, if you're out there on the West Coast with the Starlink, there is no more waiting list, and you can get Starlink basically anywhere west of the Mississippi River. They have had the wait list for a while now, but just in the past past month or so, we've seen a lot of that West Coast that, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oregon, Seattle have all been added into the now available list. And so you're really seeing it become more and more available here in the U.S. And that's a good thing. And they're also making the global roaming available so that you can use it more places around the world, but it comes with a little bit more of a price tag to do the global roaming. So the stationary disc is also going up. The stationary disc is closing in on 120 per month. But if you are someone who wants to put it on the back of your RV, put it on your boat, that's considered 200 bucks a month. Currently, the RV package where you could put the dish on the back of the RV and, and head on out, they really don't like you moving but there's not a real easy way to stop that currently. They're also not liking the the fact that a lot of these folks have been taking the RV package and putting it on their boats and going offshore with it. And, And so that's why they're coming up with this global roaming package so that if you're truly gonna go global with it, great, fine. We're gonna charge you for it. And oh, by the way, it's gonna work pretty well. Yeah, so the the question that I have ultimately is, who is the target user for this? Because you know we've talked a lot about the people who live in rural areas who don't have access to internet, and that you know this internet access is something which we consider basically essential here in the year 2023. Well, if you're someone in rural America, uh, you probably don't have that 120 bucks a month to drop on internet, or maybe you do, and that's just not something that interests you. You know, we've talked about how a lot of those people, part of the reason they don't currently have Internet access is it's just not a big deal to them. And so at a price tag of more than $1,000 a year, you're really probably not going to hook them in. And so then you're starting to really narrow down to people who live in rural areas but have the money, have the interest in this. You know, you have people who you mentioned with the RV, with the boat, but is that enough traffic to to support this business model? You know, what is the proper price point that allows us to not be a really cool boondoggle, but actually has it be sustainable and profitable? Well, the free market's going to let us know that because Starlink's getting some some new competition. They've had there's HughesNet and Viasat's been out there for a long time, and and they're relatively slow, but now OneWeb is becoming a new rival for global satellite internet access. Yeah, so OneWeb is actually based out of the UK. They're not a traditional American player here, but they currently have 618 satellites up in the air, and they're also trying to position themselves a little differently. They're not necessarily trying to go after that consumer-level business. They're much more trying to position themselves in that government or enterprise-level service. Yeah, that's a much more interesting way. Go after the folks who have money and you can charge more for it and you've got a greater need in the business market. And if you've got businesses set up far flung in remote areas and they need access to the Internet, 
you put this out there, they're much more willing to pay. I love this model. They're really I think it's a it's a great play on their part. I think that that large, steady, stable contract seems to be a much better idea because then you can just name the price that makes you profitable. You're not sitting out there trying to, you know, did we get enough signups today? Are the you know the are there individual people out there who are happy with it? You really just kind of clean up a lot of that messiness that comes with being a consumer-facing product, and especially being more targeted in your approach means you don't have to provide for as many use cases. I definitely think that this will be more viable long term, but maybe it doesn't have the large upside. They're they're not taking as big of a swing, but I'd say they're much more likely to hit what they're trying to find. When you're looking at some of the, the other companies, the HughesNet, the Viasat, they've been around for a long time. They've had their satellites up there, but they do not get the throughputs. They do not get the bandwidth that you can get with Starlink. That's part of their problem. Yeah, it's an older technology that... When it was created, it was absolutely the best for what they could do. But, you know, whenever you look that HughesNet is still typically only about one to three megabits downloaded and Starlink is going to be a lot more, Starlink can stream 4K videos of Netflix. And that's just not something HughesNet caps out at about 480, not 4080. And so you're really kind of seeing the the differences there. And, you know, we get to lag and latency. They're really, they're outdated technologies. Well, and the bigger, the biggest difference between Starlink and Viasat or HughesNet, Starlink has what's called low Earth orbit satellites, whereas Viasat and, and HughesNet both have high Earth orbit. So their satellites are much further out, much, much further away, 16 to 20,000 miles in space, whereas the, the Starlinks are about 400 to 500 miles up in space. And so you have less less time for the, the, the data that has to travel, and your latency is much less, and you can get much more throughput. So it's going to be faster. We wanted to close out here with a fun little story talking about another Musk-owned business. The Tesla recently participated in a white hat hackathon. So this is an event wherever the companies intentionally bring their products to hackers who are good hackers and say, please, you guys find the vulnerabilities in this for us and we'll pay you for it. You guys come figure out where are the holes and then we'll patch them ahead of time and that way these problems never get found by the bad guys and we will reward you for helping us absolutely so these guys because they actually found a way to breach the tesla tesla is giving them three hundred fifty thousand dollars and a model three yeah so that's pretty cool that's you know we have this white hat hacking going on but it does also raise the interesting question of as we have our cars become more and more complicated computers on wheels, as we add all these bells and whistles and ability to connect to them, they're going to just get more complicated. They're going to have more proper terms, vectors for attack. They're going to have more places wherever someone's going to say, I wonder if I can sneak around this back door here. I wonder if I can get in through there. Cybersecurity is going to become an essential part of the automotive industry. 
And it's just another place wherever we're going to need to protect ourselves. We're going to need to be thinking about these things. You might have to enable two-factor authentication on your car not that far from now. When you think about it, cars currently are just nothing more than Internet of Thing devices. We're going to have to start putting firewalls in a car. Oh, absolutely. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.